The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Close out the second to last sermon in the series. May you be lifted high, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Well, you have your Bibles open. We're just going to read this from the get-go here. So if you're able to stand, if you're inside, would you join me in standing as we read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll be verses 12 through 15 this morning. Title of our sermon, as it has been the last several weeks, is Counter-Cultural, Counter-Cultural. Paul is continuing his exhortation after a couple weeks of talking about the return of the Lord, and now he's talking about more in-house matters, but all within the light of living out the gospel in the return of our Lord And here's what the Word of God says this morning, reading out of the ESV Bible, the Pew Bible as well. Paul says this, he says, We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And see that, verse 15, no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to every one. This seems like an odd thing for Paul to do. He goes from speaking about the return of Christ to now dealing with things a little more in the church. But friends, I want you to know this is just as important as the return of Christ. So we have gotten revved up and psyched up and energized about the return of Christ. And as you read this, you may say, ah, this doesn't apply to me. It does. Because if you're a church member, this is what we do. If you're a prospective church member, this is who you're called to be. And this is what we are to do together. So I'm going to go through this. It's very straightforward. It's very easy. But I pray this morning that it refreshes us with what God has called us to do together. Or, Tina, what did, that, uh, what did that Royals manager say years ago? Juntos Podemos, together we can. And that's what it is. If you're a Royals fan, you better remember who that was, because I don't remember his name. It was Tony Pena. But we have a greater mission, Juntos Podemos, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Let's pray together. We'll get in the text as we do. Let's go before the Lord. Father, thank you so much. As we come to you, we thank you, Lord. It is about being together. And this text is on the heels of passages that are more thrilling to the soul, especially in light of where we are as a country in this world. But Lord, this is so important to get right. May we hear with our ears this morning. May we be refreshed by your spirit. May we be challenged by the text in front of us. And Father, move me out of the way. May we speak the words that we have been given by you, Lord, and only you. That is from your scripture. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. May be seated. Thank you so much. Well, there is a story about a man who got up early to leave a church service. And the pastor asked him during the sermon, where are you going? And Joe said, Pastor, I'm getting out of here to go get a haircut. And the pastor said, well, why didn't you get a haircut before service started, Joe? He said, I didn't need one then, Pastor. (laughs) That's not the punchline. You all are are way too far ahead. (laughs) Joe was later heard remarking to a fellow congregant that his pastor was just like Pharaoh. He would not let his people go. 
And so if you've ever been a sermon that went on a little too long, you know that's all too true, is it not? That relationship between pastor and church and church and pastor sometimes uh, can be, well, a little hairy, can't it? It can be a little bit different. And if we're honest, every local church is a complicated web of idolatries, hidden motivations, time restraints, and complex relationships. Ministry takes deep discernment from up here and from back there. It takes time to learn all this stuff. And, and, and this, is what, this is how it kind of goes, and this is how we are told. Because in 1 Thessalonians, we are living in light of the return of Jesus. And we're living in light of the fact that he is coming again. You believe that, don't you? He is coming again. And in this time now, Paul is telling how we are to live as a church in the meantime. What does that look like? Oh, that most churches would refresh themselves in what Paul says here. When most pastors especially would refresh ourselves in what is said here. Because it matters so much, especially as we're coming out in America of a time where church has been so different, has felt so different, and has looked so different perhaps than ever before in a generation as we have through COVID. But these are the final instructions that begin with a lesson about the harmony in the church. And there are nine commandments here in four verses that show us how a church is to work. And let me just be honest, there are no perfect churches. If you find one, you just spoiled it. That's what Spurgeon said. Your church isn't perfect. My church I grew up in isn't perfect. The church down the road isn't perfect. Not the one you watch online that has the great production and show that makes you want to go there. Trust me, it ain't perfect either. But every church should strive to be healthy. And every Christian should desire to be a, a member of a healthy church. And that comes in three ways. It comes in truth. It comes in holiness. And it comes in unity. And Paul has addressed this here and will continue to address this here. So my question before us today is how do we live in the light of Christ coming to be good church members, to be those who don't just consume something on a Sunday, but relationally, as we talked about several weeks ago, form a community that is healthy, that is vibrant, that is focused on Christ? How do we do that? Paul's going to tell us a little bit here. And how do we honor Christ in the midst of that? We'll answer those questions. The big idea, which is on your uh, bulletin, is a mouthful. It's up on the screen. But it's simply this, is that a gospel-centered pastor, a gospel-centered church, are those who are intimately aware of how broken the church is and yet are relentlessly optimistic about their future together, all for God's glory. In other words, we see the problems because we often are the problems, amen? But together, we're going after Christ who has no problem mopping us all up and putting us back on the path we need to be for God's glory. And friends, enough is enough of this. As we get deeper and, and, and as we grow older together, many of us, we are going to see this happen. You're going to continue to see churches being about Jesus and me, the production, the, 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 the things you see on Sunday morning that are so polished you could take a, a rag and not find any dust on any of the things that they do. And you're going to see churches that are just doing normal church whatever that is. Friend, be very careful you don't judge a church by its breadth, by the lights, the production. You judge the church by the fruit of the ministry. You want to know what a church is about? Come to a business meeting and see how they treat each other. You want to know what a church is about? Go to a prayer meeting and see how they pray for each other. You want to know what a church is about? See how they interact with each other after the service. That's what matters. And what even more matters is how they treat one another from the pastor view up to the membership view. It really does matter. And you say, well, Darren, I'm coming in here with all sorts of things happening this week. Well, maybe you will find in this passage a refresher about what God has called you to be. 
Sometimes when you're so focused on your problems, you forget about what God has actually asked you to do. So let's get into it here. What are the three things that God tells us make a healthy church? And we'll put those up for you. The first one is this. These are so straightforward. They're so straightforward. Three prescriptions for a strong church that will impact the world for the gospel. The first is this. The first is that you respect your leaders. You respect your leaders. You notice in verse 12 that he tells us here the word brothers. You probably have that word. That word is a neutral word. It actually means brothers and sisters. Your Bible does not have the word sisters, but it, it means it here. It's a, gender, it's a gender term that means just simply brothers and sisters. And Paul says it here to remind them about who they are. They're not just a clique. They're not just the civic organization. They're not the swim club or the Spanish club. They are the church. And he says with brotherly affection that they are to honor their spiritual leadership. What does that mean? Well, there's nothing wrong with honoring faithful servants of God so long as God gets the glory. It's not about honoring us. It's about honoring God of us in the midst. So what should you expect from your leaders? He tells you here. Well, first off, you need to know that as leaders, there are only two offices in the church itself. There are pastor elders and there are deacons. There's nothing else. That's it. Committees were never in the Bible. <gasps> well, we're Baptists. We have to have committees on committees. You know, if you're a Southern Baptist and you've never been to a Southern Baptist meeting, they have a committee on the committees of committees of committees. There's like three committees on committees. So how do you get on the committees on the committees? I don't know. You figure it out and let me know. But what he says here is those are not offices. He says, and he doesn't say they're bad. He says there's pastors and there's elders. Pastors are those in the New Testament who are called to lead the church, to teach, to preach, for Timothy 3. There are also deacons, for Timothy 3 and other places, that are called to serve. Deacons lead by serving, elders serve by leading. These instructions are about the pastors, though. And the office of elder here is not named, but the function is, it's described. He says that we are to be those who labor among you, verse 12, and who are over you. He says those who are over you. This is not a one-man show. He uses the plural here, and that is for great emphasis. When Paul writes to a church, he never writes to a single pastor. He always writes to a group of pastors. Uh, to put another term, plurality of pastors, plurality of elders. These verses summarize about what they are to do. So what does he tell them to do? He tells them to labor among you. Pastors, in the light of Christ's return, are to labor among you. And they're not worthy of respect. Pastors are not worthy of respect because of their title, their office, or position. I've always wanted to be Anglican only for this reason. Because every 10 years of service, you get the word very in front of your name. So if you've been serving for 50 years, you're the very, 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 very Pastor Darren. That's a lot of pastor. Please don't do that ever. Just call me Darren. And that's fine, or Pastor Nelson, Pastor Craig, whatever you got. We don't need that there. Paul says that pastors earn their respect to you by their labor among you. Their labor is wearisome toil. It's like when you work outside, these guys, bless these men and women who work outside during this heat. When you see them, when you drive by, they're flush. And at, at the end of the day, they probably sit down and pass out for the next day. Thank you for those people. That's the same word here. Pastors are to be respected, for, and they're to be respected because of their labor among you. It's often hard work. This work is weighed down by nights and, and tears and texts and emails you may never see or hear about. But pastors gain the reputation in these days as people of leisure. You've heard the joke, right? Pastors only work one day a week. Which day is it? It's Sunday. And how long? For about 40 minutes. 
And sometimes they wonder if they even work then during their sermons. But pastors should be known as hardworking men. And ladies, let me clarify here again, this is no disrespect to you. The office of pastor, the office of elder is reserved for those men of the church. It's a whole other sermon topic, but I want to be clear here. When Paul says those who labor among you, he's using a masculine term. And that is something that we as Southern Baptists agree, that the office of pastor is reserved for those men who are called. So they're to, they're, they're to serve, they're to labor among you, but he also says in verse 12, they're to be over you. Now this may be, this may be a cringy thing for some of you, but notice what verse 12 says. He says they're to be over you. It's literally they're to stand before you. They're to be over you in the Lord. They're to be over you in the Lord. Pastors have been given authority and responsibility for the church, but the church is not a Cuba dictatorship. It's not Fidel Castro in the pastorate or whatever person's in there. It is not a democracy either. The church is not a democracy. The church is not made the best vote win. The church is always about clear leadership, and it must be how. He tells you how. It must be in the Lord. The leadership is not because I think about it. Leadership is not because I read it in a magazine. The leadership is because the Lord has said it. We follow it and we do it. That's what it says. That's why you respect those who labor among you. And the clause here is that we stand accountable before the Lord. We give account. I've said this to some of you before. In serious conversations with you, we, we, we will give an account for your soul before Jesus Christ. That's going to be our eternal job review. No pressure. We are not politicians who make sure the government does it right. We are pastors who make sure the church does it right. You pray for that. Acts 20, 28, Paul said, Pay careful attention, therefore, to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church which he obtained with his own blood. So we are to labor among you. We are over you spiritually in the church. But thirdly, look back there at verse 13. We are to admonish you. We are to admonish you. He said, verse 12, he says, to admonish you. Now, parents, you know what this means. It literally means to put into the mind. It literally means to be something of instruction. When you have kids, this is really what you're doing all the time. Go to the bathroom and wash your hands. Don't be that guy who walks out of the bathroom and you know he didn't wash his hands. You've all seen those people at rest stops, especially in summer travel. Don't be that guy. You go, son, I'm telling you, go wash your hands. You've done this for years, so you parents, you know. And as pastors, it's no different in a spiritual way. It is a work of instruction. It is distinguished from teaching, but it means to warn them of the consequences of their actions. It means to warn them of what is coming. It's, it's, its tone is brotherly, but it's big brotherly. It's, it's, it's like going to someone and saying, don't do this because it will lead to bad consequences. And so, friends, admonishing is not something we enjoy doing, but it's something we're called to. And if we're going to live in light of Christ's return as your pastor, I'm going to ask you not to respect me or Pastor Craig or Pastor Nelson simply because we carry that title. We're going to ask you to respect us because we want to lead you spiritually well. And if we're leading you spiritually well, if we come to you and bring something to your attention that is something that you know is sin or something that you know is off base, then we don't come to you just to at you. We come to you with brotherly love. But he also tells you what your response should be. We are to labor among you. We are to be over you. We are to admonish you at times to proclaim truth and promote holiness and protect unity. But we are also expecting things from you. What is your call in respecting your leaders in the light of Christ's return? Well, he tells you. He tells you what it is. 
First off, he says, respect. Respect the elders. That goes without saying. Respect is to know. The command is not identifying the pastors. It's not about, it's not about getting to know them personally, though we invite that. It's to acknowledge us. It's to know their worth, recognize their value. The call here for you members is to respect the elders, but it does not mean that you put us on a pedestal. I know there are some churches where the pastor has a parking spot up front, and that's the pastor's parking spot. Don't you dare park in that pastor's parking spot. Please don't ever do that here. Please don't ever put a placard out for us to say you're the best pastor ever or anything. We just love you. We care for you. It's not about us. It's about him. Amen? And that's what it's about. We will die someday. We will pass the buck someday. But it's about together being about it. Now, this doesn't mean if you want to bless us someday and buy us cookies or something. Great. Praise the Lord. We eat cookies, all right? We like that sort of thing. But the point here is, is that as church members, sometimes the pastor gets so revered that when that pastor goes off the deep end in sin and resigns from the ministry, half the church leaves with them and shows how idolatrous that relationship really was. Be careful. Friends, we don't want to make a cult of Darren, a cult of Craig, and a cult of Nelson. That's a scary cult. We want to be about the body of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what it's about. It's a call to respect it's a call to submit to leadership so long as it is biblical. Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider their outcome, their way of life, and imitate their faith. But secondly, in verse 13, it tells you your responsibility is to esteem the leaders. Look at verse 13. It says, and to esteem them very highly because of their work. He says respect in verse 12. That focuses on the behavior. Esteem in verse 13 focuses on the attitude. Look, you can have someone work for you, but they can have the worst attitude about it. Ever been there? I'm going to take out the trash because that's what I'm called to do. Yeah, that's going to win you hubby points, isn't it? It's going to win you parent points. Your attitude makes a difference. Verse 13 says, esteem them very highly. It's a continual attitude of proper regard. When you esteem us as leaders, you don't do it half-heartedly because that's what you're called to do. You do it because you love you. I've used this illustration before, but it goes without saying. Husbands, on Father's Day, if you, if you go away on a trip and you come back and you kiss your wife and she says, whoa, where did that come from? Well, on page 597 of the Great Husband Manual, it says after a big trip, you're supposed to passionately kiss your wife like you're on a, in a movie. Why would you would look at that husband and say, how dare you? Why don't you do that all the time? Attitude matters, doesn't it? And in light of Christ's return, your job is to esteem us, not because we're worthy, but because we seek to esteem and reverence and respect and honor and glorify the one who is worthy of all those things. And together, that's how we work this relationship. And we're to do that in love. It's, notice it says there, in love because of their work. The elders, the pastors are a gift to the church and esteem is not based on title, it's not based on office, it's not based on position. It is based on the love that is there. Why do you do this? He tells you why. Why does this apply to you? Look at the end of verse 13. Why do you do these things? So that you will be at peace with everyone. So many churches, and some of you have been in these churches, there's a multiplicity of pastors that is a biblical thing. It's not just a one-man CEO, senior pastor show. That's not biblical. 
but some churches have a multitude of pastors, and some are for this pastor, some are for that pastor, and some are for the other pastor. And Paul wrote about that, didn't he? In 1 Corinthians 1, he said, you're for Paul, you're for Cephas, you're for Apollos, but Paul said, no, I'm for Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Why does he tell you this in the light of Christ's return? Because guess what? Let me just speak back to where we've been the last two weeks. One pastor may have this view of Christ's return. One pastor may have this view of Christ's return. One pastor may have that view of Christ's return. And you may align with one of them and say, well, I'm going to follow this pastor in the church more because they agree more with my theology or they agree more with my end times views. And Paul says, hogwash, stop that, respect them, love them, esteem them together because that's what matters at the end of the day, not how they view the end times. Don't idolize preachers. It's going to get you in trouble. Your preachers sin just like you do. They fail at home just like you do. They say bad words sometimes just like you do. They think thoughts just like you do. But praise God, we're covered by the grace of God. Amen? Be careful. You respect the leaders, but you do so with the holy grace, gospel-centered caution at the same time. So let's move on. Second point is this. He says the prescription to live in this world, you respect your leaders, but secondly, you do this. You do this to rejuvenate the members, rejuvenate the members. Verse 14, he says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Now, here are four commands, and these are commands for you all. This is for all of us. This is Tower View. And again, he calls them brothers or brothers and sisters. Verses 12 and 13 were the members' duties to the elders. Verses 14 and 15 are the members' duties now to one another. In verse 12, Paul asks the brothers. Verse 14, he now urges the brothers. And caring for one another is more urgent than honoring spiritual leadership. Let me get that, say that again. The urgency is based on the needs around you. So often we take care of the pastor, but we forget to take care of those the pastor pastors. Does that make sense? We put the pastor up here and we forget about the sheep over here. That's not good. It's not biblical. What he says here is we are to care for the trouble. Then he says we do this in at least four ways. They're very straightforward in front of you. First, he says we are to admonish the idol. Admonish the idol. Wait, I thought pastors were supposed to do the admonishing. Well, guess what? Sometimes we are to do that to each other, aren't we? He says the word idol here is a military term for a, a, a guy who goes AWOL. For a, a military person who, when they're walking in line, decides to walk out to his own beat. Or in a sympathy who starts playing his own tune. They are spiritual draft dodgers. They are spiritually AWOL. They are spiritually missing in action. And friends, I'm going to encourage you with this. You know people, longtime Tower View, that are members of this church who we have not seen in 15 months. You need to admonish them and encourage them to come back to church. You need to call out to them and reach out to them and say, hey, I don't know what's keeping you away, but we want to encourage you. We want you back here. We desire your fellowship here, your encouragement here. Why don't you come on back? It is the elder's job to admonish the saints, but we're to admonish one another. And I would guarantee you that most churches are dealing with this across the board right now. Church attendance is just like that. If you know someone who's missing from this fellowship and you have not called them, you need to do that ASAP. Get on board with it. What if they won't come back? Well, maybe they need what the second point is. Look what he says. He says, not only admonish the idol, he says, encourage the faint-hearted. 
Because let's be real here for a minute. This last year has been hard, has it not? There's a lot of people who are faint-hearted. Literally, in the Greek, little-souled. It is a spiritual condition where someone is depressed, discouraged, or despondent. And guys, let me just say this. Even as a Christian, you can be depressed. You can be despondent. You can be discouraged. It happens. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean it's happy-go-lucky all the time. Life isn't like that. Even Christ wept when Lazarus died, didn't he? So too we can in these things. But we are to encourage. We are to encourage them. Many of the Jews in John 11 had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. But when Lazarus died, the whole community showed up. Do you remember that? Guys, right now we have a member, as we, we announced before, that is going to go through a lot of things. And we've had a lot of people rallying around other people. We've had COVID this last couple of months. We've had a lot of different situations in our church. And now it's shifted to another member who has a serious thing we announced before church. And you all are going to rally around them. There's people who are spiritually out of the church right now who need an encouraging word to get back in church, who may just need a big bear hug if they're comfortable with that, to say, hey, I love you. We miss you. Would you come back? We should encourage the faint-hearted. But also we should help the weak. Admonish, encourage. We should also help the weak. What is weak here? It's one who's sick or ill. It's not necessarily referring to physical weakness. It's, a, it, it's dealing with spiritual weakness. Those who are weak in the faith, those who are maybe newer to the faith, those who have those who've, who've heard something that makes them question their faith, those who have who want to be there, but 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 aren't sure how to do it. Their faith might not be strong enough to resist temptation or to live obediently or to endure hardship. But Romans 15:1 tells us this, and I'll read it to you. It says, "We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves." Church, it is so easy. One of the most countercultural things you can do as a church member is to be a member and show up every week. That's countercultural in our culture today. But there are still people who are weak in their faith who have a hard time coming back to the church because they've been burned. They've been hurt. Dare I say, even abused. And it's going to take a village to get them back. But this is our call. This is what we're called to do. Because do you know what Paul was writing this for? Because some people were so discouraged. Jesus had not come back in Paul's day. They had just said, check, check, check out. Do you, I asked Aaron, if you're, if you're a younger generation, you can solve this afterwards. But some of these people have, have rolled out of the church or bounced out of the church. Do you bounce before you roll or do you roll before you bounce? Some of you young people are going to think about that for a second. The point is, is that they exited the church at Thessalonica, because Christ did not return. They got discouraged. Their faith, well, he said he's coming back, and he hasn't come back. This must just be false. There's a lot of people right now who are feeling let down by God, who've tried God, but it hasn't worked. Friends, they need our encouragement. Why? He tells you, because at the end of that verse, he says, be patient with them all. When you, you know what? When you're really good at something, Unless you're super special, it's really hard to be patient with someone who's interested in what you're good with and be patient and walk them through it, isn't it? You ever thought about that before? If you're an expert in your field, if you're really good at your job and they bring someone along and say, oh, hey, by the way, Pastor Craig, you get to train the new trainee guy. And Pastor Craig can like all, all day at work, but Pastor Craig has to slow down. Why'd you make that mistake again? Oh, 
I did it again? Ooh. Well, guess what? Paul doesn't say dismiss everyone outright. Paul doesn't say just throw them out with the bathwater. He says be patient with them all. Exodus 34, 6, God reminds us that God is slow to anger. Galatians 5, 22, list patience is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, let me be clear here. We need to put all Scripture together. There is a time and a place if someone continues in sin, we go to them individually. They reject that. We go to them in a two or three group. If they reject that, we bring them before the church. If they reject that, we, 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 we dismiss them and treat them as a tax collector. As Matthew 18 says, there is a time and a place for church discipline appropriately applied to restore a soul back to Christ. But that's not what's in view here. What's in view here are people who are just outside the church walls and are part of the group, but, but no one's really reached out to them. No one's really tried to care for them in these ways. And what he's saying is be patient with them. Give them some time. To be frank with you, that's why we've given the uh, drive-in church some extra time. That's why we've left the camera on. That's why we want to be patient with all these people. It's not to say if you're outside or online that you're, you're here, but we know this season has been hard. But friends, our greatest thing that we need to do is to encourage. Tower of members, I'm going to ask you again. In your mind, take a moment. Check back in the sermon. Take a moment. Who is it in this church you have not seen in a while that you know needs to get back in fellowship here? I'm not talking about drive-in coming inside, online coming inside, people out inside going outside. Like, who's someone you have not seen in a really long time that you know needs a letter of encouragement? I want you to really reach out to them this week. And I am being serious. Sometimes we pastors can reach out in letters. We can call, we can text, and it just goes on deaf ears. Because when the pastor calls, it's kind of like when the principal shows up. You know what I mean? They know we love them, but it just, it just has a different air, even in love and grace, humility, and the relationship built. I am asking you, if you have a membership directory, the second most important book you have in your life, right? Bible first, membership directory second. To go through there. And you prayerfully consider who you have not seen at church in a very long time, maybe a month, maybe two, maybe 18 months, and you call them. Why? Because they may be weak. They may be faint-hearted. They may need admonishing, but we're going to be patient with them all. Amen? And that's what it's about. Last point is this. We are to revive the membership. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. Why do all these things? We're to care for the troublemakers, so to speak, or care for those on the fringe, but he says here that we are to revive the membership. How does he do that? Look at verse 15. We'll close with this. He says, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. This verse gives a negative and positive. The first negative is this, is that we should refuse to retaliate. The C here indicates a responsibility to stop repaying evil for evil with other people. Sometimes we don't reach out to people or care for people because we know they did something to us. We know that, that they said something, they did something, they posted something on social media that we don't like. And we're not going to tell them about it because we're good church people. We don't want to talk about it to their face, so I'm just going to ignore them and not reach out to them. Romans 12 reminds us to live at peace with all people so long as it depends on us. Christian people sometimes do evil things to one another. Hashtag Southern Baptist Convention. I'm going to be honest. We let politics overplay our relationships to Jesus Christ. 
May it never be so. The spirit of revenge has no place in the mind of a believer. Christian, Proverbs 20, 22 says, Do not repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. Romans 12 goes on to say, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll, you'll heap burning coals on his head. That doesn't sound very nice, does it? It's a sign of respect. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We need to remind that ourselves of that in this church. Why? Because he ends it with this, determined to do good, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Look, there are three ways you can treat people. You can do evil to them who do good to you, and that's the way of Satan. You can do good to those who do good to you and do evil to those who do evil to you. That's the way of the world, right? You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You're mean to me, I'll be mean to you. That's the way of the world. Or you could do good to those who do evil to you. That's the way of Jesus Christ. Amen? Acts 10.38 says that Jesus went about doing good. Peter said that. Christ followers should always seek to do good. And friends, when you're in a church, when things go forward, when relationships are sour sometimes, we need to remember that reviving the membership starts by treating people with decency and respect, no matter what's happened in the past. We're going to partake the Lord's Supper. I know we're running a little bit late and behind today. It's okay. There's no Chiefs game. The Royals aren't good. And, uh, and they don't start till one anyway. So you're all right. But I want you to know this really does matter. Because when we take the Lord's Supper, what do we always say? We always say if you have a beef with somebody else in this church, that you need to settle that before they get there. How do we live in the light of Christ's return? Galatians 6.10 reminds us. It says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. How do we win this culture? How do we win this world for Jesus Christ? We win it by being different than the world. We do it by being countercultural. And by being countercultural, that means the enemies that we have out there are not really our enemies. We pray for them, we do good to them, and we love them. That's why as a Christian, if you say my enemies are a donkey or my enemies are an elephant politically, then you've missed the whole point. We don't serve a donkey or an elephant. We serve the lamb. He's coming back again. And no matter their skin color, no matter their orientation, no matter how they identify themselves, we treat them with respect. We call them back to the kingdom of God and we disciple them in to a greater growth and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. If we would focus on that, we're going to do well in God's sight. How do we live in the light of Christ's return? You respect your leaders, you rejuvenate the members, and you revive the fellowship. And it all starts by remembering that someday God is going to hold us accountable for those things. And what a joy that's going to be. I am super stoked. And yeah, I'm 37. And I know that's weird. And I'm young. And I have energy. And run around all the time and do all those things. And chase coyotes and whatever else. But I want to tell you guys, we should be very excited about the future of Tower View Baptist Church because God is forming within us a deeper desire for these things, and we praise God for that. As you go today after the Lord's Supper, we're going to give you, if you have not picked one up, I'll be at the back with these. 
an old dead guy wrote this. Yeah, he's like dead, like 450-year-old. He, he's been dead 10 times over, I think. But John Owen wrote uh, this little booklet, and I've summarized it with the help of a link, called Rules for Walking in Church Together. Seven things from pastor to church, and seven things from church, uh, excuse me, seven things from the church to the pastor, and se- uh, 17 things. My math is terrible. I went to William Jewell College. And... Uh, <laughs> And seven from pastor to church and 15 to each other. I would ask that you take this home. And you say, how does this apply to me? I would ask you to take this home and you pray over it. And you ask God, is this true in my life? Is this true in our church? It's really easy to follow. I've summarized it down to one sentence with some scripture references you can look up. But God be praised. Guys, I love you so much. Let's pray together. I want to invite the worship team up as we come. If you're not a Christian here today, I don't like tacking this on at the end, but the truth is, if you're not a Christian and you do not know Jesus Christ, this is the day that God has given us. There's one way to heaven. His name is Jesus Christ, and that is it. If you're not sure of your salvation, if you died tonight, if you would be with Jesus, then you need to come talk to us. If you're online, if you're outside, we'd be glad to meet you as we can. Please message us, but Jesus is the only way to heaven. Let's bow our heads together. Let's go before our Lord as we do. Father, as we come to you, as we sing our last song, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, Father, be lifted high. Thank you for Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, there's a lot of things ahead for our church. We're going to be replacing Craig, our staff member, in the next couple weeks as he goes to take care of his family. Father, we're going to be praying for one of our members who's undergoing some serious medical things ahead. Father, we're going to be talking in a big family meeting in late July about where we need to head as a church in light of all the things you've been teaching us over the years and how that impacts our physical buildings, our spiritual makeup, and our leadership. Father, you're going to be leading us back in the coming weeks to a children's center that's refurbished and the revitalization of of Sunday school and small groups. Father, there's still uh, the Wednesday night discussions about how we reach out to our neighborhoods and rejuvenate that and restart that. But Father, through all this, may we respect the leaders. May we encourage the faint-hearted. May we be patient with all. May we admonish the idle. May we give strength to the weak by your grace. Father, may we not backbite each other or devour each other. May we do good to all as far as we are in the household of faith. All for your glory. Father, this church, as any church, is broken. And that's because we're sinners together. But Lord, we are relentlessly optimistic because you are the Lord who binds it together and uses broken people weak people, faint-hearted people, for your glory. May it be so here at Tower View. We love you so much, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen.